Good morning. It's great to see everyone. It's good to be together in the house of God and be together in community. Do me a favor. Just turn around and just wave. Say hi to somebody near you. You do that? Say hi. It's good to be around people. Good to be with people this morning. If we don't know each other, my name's Brian. I'm the pastor here at Mount Hope in Belmont. And uh, last week, Pastor Rick, uh, who is our senior pastor in Burlington, we did something that we used to do quite regularly, but we've only done twice in the last three years. And that is I was preaching over there in Burlington. Pastor Rick was here. And so he was really happy to meet some people that he hadn't met before. I was happy to do the same in Burlington. But it's always good to be back. Always good to be back uh, in, in this family. We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 in just a minute. Luke chapter 12. I don't know what kind of planner you are. I don't know if you're the kind of planner that is okay with a little bit of uncertainty or if you're the kind of plant planner that wants everything a certain way, like everything a certain, a certain way. You're going to plan out every little detail of everything. I don't know. All of us are on that spectrum somewhere. Either we're, we're overly planned, we, we want all the details taken care of, or maybe we don't think through the details um, enough. And I don't know about you, but there's got to be some sort of happy medium between the two that, that I think we're always searching for because we know things aren't ever going to go perfectly according to our plans in this life and in this world, but it's good to at least have a plan, right? I think, um, I think Lori and I found that out the extremes of that a little bit, uh, just in the, in the three times that, that we walked through the process of having children and Lori was way more involved than I was in that uh, whole part of it. Uh, but I was around helping as I could. And when we, when we had our first child, Caitlin, um, we were, we were at Beth Israel hospital down in the city. And I got to tell you the amount of energy and planning that went into preparing for Caitlin being born was off the charts. Uh, we toured the hospital. We met everybody that worked there, saw exactly where we'd go, saw the room where we would be, uh, saw where we'd be after the baby was born, where the nursery was. And then we, we went and we took classes and we sat down in the class and I, I'll never forget it. The, the nurse that was leading the, the Lamaze class, she sat down and she said, every single one of you is going to want to put together a birthing plan. She said, here's my biggest piece of advice for you. Take that birthing plan and throw it out the window because whatever you're planning to happen, it's probably not going to happen. But I remember when, when Lori went into labor with Caitlin, we walked into that hospital at Beth Israel and everything was planned out. Like we knew where we were going. We knew it was going to happen. That was good. We had Jackson at the exact same place. And then we moved. And then uh, we were going to have Nora, our youngest child. And we just said, yeah, you go to the hospital and you have the baby. It's fine. And I'll never forget walking into Winchester Hospital, which we had decided to switch hospitals because we had moved and Winchester was closer. And I remember we walked through the door and I had this moment of panic where I thought to myself, I've never been here before. Like, I have no idea where we're supposed to go. And I, the, the reception person at the front of the door saw the panic in my eyes. And she was like, sixth floor, east elevator. And I said, oh, okay, thank you so much. And we found our way there. But there's got to be some happy medium, right? Between being overplanned and finding yourself in, a, in an important situation where you have no plan. There's got to be some happy medium between the two. Today, as we walk through uh, the parables of Jesus and Luke, a series that we started last week, 
we're going to meet a man who came to Jesus and he was trying to be planned in his life. In fact, he was trying to be planned out in the same way many of us try to be planned out in our lives, to find some sort of certainty in an uncertain world. But Jesus in this moment, he does something that I think we see him do in quite a few of these passages that we're going to look at, is that a person comes to him and says something, and Jesus doesn't really deal with the initial thing the person says. Rather, Jesus sees the heart behind the statement or the heart behind the question, and he deals with the person's heart. If you were here last week, we, we looked at a lawyer who came to Jesus and said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus knew that this man's biggest challenge was not defining who his neighbor is or isn't. I always wish Jesus would say, well, they're the people that you meet each day. I wish he would But Jesus, he knows his biggest problem is not defining who is his neighbor. His biggest problem is loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that as he goes, he behaves, uh, behaves as a neighbor. Loves other way, people the same way that Christ loves him. And the same thing in this passage today. A man comes to Jesus with an issue. Wants Jesus to take care of it. But Jesus doesn't even deal with the issue. He deals with the heart behind the issue. And this is what happens. We're in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is teaching to a group of people. In fact, many thousands of people had gathered, Luke tells us. And someone in the crowd shouts out to Jesus. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, back to the crowd, take care and be on guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man shouts out of the crowd. Teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes in this family, right? Nothing, nothing brings out tension in family, like inheritance or big events like that. I'll never forget one time I, I walked into a funeral service and uh, I walked in and half the room was on one side, half the room was on the other side and no one was sitting in the middle. And one of the people that I knew at the service came up to me and said, don't you worry. If this gets out of control, I've got your back. And I thought, oh my goodness, nothing, nothing brings out tension in families like these sorts of moments. And here's exactly what's happening with this, with this person. There's tension in his family. There's been an inheritance. He thinks the brother should divide it with him, but clearly the brother is not dividing it. And who knows? 
He may have every legal right to this money. He could have lawfully been owed this money by his brother. That's possible. But isn't it interesting that Jesus really has no concern for that? I mean, even if by law he's owed the money, that's not what Jesus is here for. That's not why he's teaching. And I can't help but help but, but wonder, as I watch the lawyer from last week come to Jesus and say, who is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't even deal with that specific question. And then this man comes and he says, he says, well, tell my brother to invite, divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus completely goes in opposite direction. How many times I come to God with all of my requests and things that I want God to do. And God says, that's nice, but I'm going to deal with your heart. And this whole time I'm wondering why God isn't giving me the answers I, I want. The whole time I'm wondering why God isn't doing what I want him to do. I'm not realizing that God is doing what's most important. And that is changing my heart and my soul. And that's what he does for this man, or at least attempts to do. Because this man comes to Jesus and really what he's saying is what many of us desire. Jesus knows that this man is coming and saying something along the lines of, Jesus, give me this money so that I have certainty in a very uncertain world. And I think there's part of all of us that want that, right? You want that. I want that. We want certainty in the midst of an uncertain world. And Jesus says to the crowd, he says, beware of this. Beware of desiring certainty through material possessions. The reality is, is all of us kind of long for this. In a world that we realize is uncertain from day to day, we want some sense of security and certainty. Uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, there was a, a team that was announced by NASA. And I saw this uh, I was reading this article on CNN about it. The, the team uh, is, is put together in order to investigate all of the unexplained occurrences that happen in the universe radio signals from, from galaxies away, all the things that happen and occur that really can't be explained. And this man, David Spurgle, is the head of the team. And in the press conference, when they announced this team, he said something like this. He said, I've been a cosmologist my entire life. And I can tell you that 95% of the universe is unknown to us. And I don't know about you, my gut tells me that that's like a low estimate. But he said 95% of the universe is un unknown to us. And he said, so there's many things we can't explain. And it's interesting to me because that would be an area and a group of people that many of us would look to for certainty in life. And yet this man is coming back and saying, listen, I've studied the universe my entire life. And I'm telling you, there's way more we don't know than what we know. And life is so uncertain and there's something inside of us that wants some certainty. And Jesus, knowing this man's heart and knowing our hearts, he gives us this story. A story of a man who had a great return in his crops. And now there's nothing unethical in that story. The man did good business. He was blessed with a lot. He says, so what shall I do? And Jesus says, he decides he'll tear down his current barns and build bigger barns so he can store everything he has. And then he says to himself, now I finally have certainty. I can rest, eat, drink, and be merry because I figured it all out. 
I have all that I need. And I think there's something inside of us that we all want that. And there's something inside of us that we say to ourselves, if I could just get a certain amount of money, or if I could just live in a certain kind of place, if I could know that I had this much stored away, then I'd have certainty in life. Do you ever have a person that's significantly younger than you explain to you how their life is going to go? You ever have someone that, that's uh, graduating perhaps and you sit down with them and they say, you say, well, what's your plan? And they say, well, I have a five-year plan, I have a 10-year plan and I have a 20-year plan. And then they can detail for you everything that's going to happen. Maybe it's like a new hire at your job. You hire somebody and they come in and they're saying, well, in three years, I'll be here. In five years, I'll be there. And, seven. and you're thinking in your head, you're just thinking to yourself, that's an awesome plan, but that ain't gonna happen. Like, good luck with all of that. Because as great as it is to have a plan, there's so many uncertainties in life, aren't there? And the question is, that Jesus is, is dealing with is this heart that says, if I can just wrap my arms around enough things, then life will be certain. And Jesus tells us this parable because for you and for me, Uncertainty in life, it leads to a lot of work and worry, doesn't it? Uncertainty in life leads to a lot of work and worry. And for this man in the story, he works and works and works and saves and saves and saves. But it's false certainty, Jesus says. Yes, he has enough to retire, but it's a false certainty sense of certainty. There's a, a kind of a fad that you see going on in, our, in the work environment, the fad of early retirement. There's more and more people and there's articles written about them and it's, and it's posted all over the place of, of all the people that have, that have saved and saved and saved and saved so that by the time that they were 40 or by the time that they were 45 or by the time that they were 50, they could be done with work and they could just go and they bought a motor home and they're living on a farm somewhere and they're living the dream. And all these articles are written with this idea that this is the source, the sense of certainty that we're trying to work for. Like if we just give enough that we didn't have to work anymore and we didn't have to do these things, then life would be more certain. And some of us work really hard trying to chase after something, some sense of security. But Jesus in the parable reminds us, no matter how hard you work, there are things that are uncertain. And for the man in the parable, yes, he has plenty of resources, but his life is taken from him in a moment. So no matter how hard he works, there's still uncertainty there. And that uncertainty, that reality of that, when we're not working for it, it leads to a lot of worry or it can lead to a lot of worry. In fact, this is what Jesus says in the very next 
section. And I love this because if you watch what Jesus does, and this is just kind of a a note to look at in the text, I love what he does here. He gets shouted at from the crowd. He says back to that man who shouted at him, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? The man thought it was people's court or something. He thought he was at Judge Judy. And Jesus was saying, I'm not here. This is not small claims court. I'm here teaching. And then he turns to the crowd and he says, beware of covetousness and listen to this parable. And then look who he turns to here. This is like insider information in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, and I don't know exactly how this looked like, but Jesus does this over and over again in his ministry. He says some things to the crowd. And then he turns to his disciples and speaks. And he says to them, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. The uncertainty of life causes us to to try and create certainty. And so many of us do that through work, busyness, But all that does is highlight the reality that no matter how much we find ourselves controlling, there is far more outside of our control than in our control. And so then that leads to worry. And as a culture, we have a real challenge with worrying right now. The latest latest, um, statistics that I was able to find say that something like 18% of our American culture, about 40 million people have diagnosable anxiety disorders. And it's a real challenge, the, the worry of what could happen. And I'll be honest with you, during, during COVID, during the pandemic, I started talking to a Christian psychologist. And he said to me, you have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. And I think he was right. It's a hard thing when life gets uncertain. Trying to figure out what is going to happen and how things are going to survive. And it leads to a lot of worry for us. 
No matter how much we try and wrap our arms around, no matter how much we try and control, it's constantly highlighted how much is uncertain for us. I mean, we try to gain things and we try to control things, but what if the weather is just crazy? What if the stock market dips? What if cryptocurrency crashes? What if there's a pandemic? There's so much that no matter how much we try and control, we cannot control. And Jesus comes to us and says, and I need these verses sometimes as much as anybody. Why are you so worried? Look around you. I love how Jesus does this. He doesn't need a slideshow. He doesn't need PowerPoint. He just needs nature. Look at those birds. God takes care of them. And look at these flowers. God takes care of them. And you are way more important than them. God knows what you need. We allow the uncertain things in this world to dictate so much of how we live. Trying to gain some sort of sense of certainty, trying to gain some sort of control. But see, Jesus tells us to do the opposite here. We allow what is uncertain to dictate how we live our lives. So we work more and try to gain more and try to control more. Jesus tells us to do the opposite here in these last few verses that we're going to read. He tells you and me, if you want certainty in this life, if you wanna feel secure in this life, don't allow what is uncertain to dictate how you try to gain control. Rather, he says, allow what is certain to determine how you live. This is what he says. It's verse 31. He's, Jesus says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where nor thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is very uncertain is how much time we have on this earth. I've said this before, but I love the illustration that a preacher, Dr. Tony Evans gives. He says, we count our age from our birth date, but if we really want to know how old, our, how old we are, we should count our age using our death date. Because if you're 16 years old, but you're only going to live to 19 years old, you're very old. But if you're 60 and you're going to live to 100, you're relatively young. The problem, of course is that we don't know. We don't know. And so we count up rather than down. Jesus says, don't allow an uncertain world to dictate your behaviors. Your time here is uncertain. Do you know what is certain? Eternity is certain. Eternity is certain. The fact that Jesus Christ has come and has 
died and rose again and desires relationship with you is certain. The fact that if you put your trust in him and follow him with your life, not only is there a work that is happening today that you become a part of, not only does a work begin in your life where the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work inside of you, creating in you the person that God has already always desired you to be, that you might become more like Christ. But there's an eternity for you that is certain. And Jesus says, if you're a follower of me, if you're a follower of my father, allow the certainty of the next world that awaits you to determine how you live in this world today. So does that mean we're saying you should never save any money? That's not what we're saying. But I love the way that a pastor named Tim Keller put it. He said this many years ago. He said, if there's a physical world, and there is, then it's smart to save and invest some money. But if there's an eternal realm, and there is, it is smart to invest there too. It's so hard to find the line of if you're investing too much in this world or too much in the next world. In fact, I don't know if you can overinvest in the next world, but it's so hard to find the line. And going through, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary. You always have these these debates, you know, where is the line? Can a Christian own a Ferrari? Is that possible? Can you actually be a Christian and drive a car like that? Can a Christian open a private jet? Well, what if it's a prop plane? I mean, what if it's just like a two-seater for fun? Or if it's a Learjet? I mean, what's the the line in all of these places? How How big is too big of a house for a Christian? All these questions. But Jesus doesn't really have time for these questions, I think. We would come to Jesus and he would say, and we would say, Jesus, is 3,000 square feet too big of a house for a Christian? And he would say, I don't care. But watch out for covetousness. Watch out for greed. Watch out that the things of this earth, that you're not seeking certainty in those things rather than certainty in the kingdom of God and allow your certainty in the kingdom of God to make your decisions here. I don't know when you tip from having too big of a house or too much of a car, too much saved in your retirement account, but I bet the Holy Spirit can speak to you about it. The question is not necessarily where's the line? The question is, where are you finding your certainty? Where is your heart? What are you worried about today? What are you coming here worried about? Are you worried what you will eat this, this week? That's a real reality for some people. Some people even that come to our church, are you worried about what you will eat this week? God can provide. He'll provide for you. And if that's a real reality, come see your pastors after church. We'll help you. Some of you are wondering how you're going to pay a bill. God's bigger than that bill. God can provide. I don't know what you're worried about today. But our God is bigger than that thing. If you want certainty and security in this world, 
You have to give up control to the one who is in control. I think that's what Jesus is telling us. If you want certainty today, the thing that you need to do is you need to give up control to the one who is in control. And live your life based on what is certain rather than what is uncertain. In the year 2000, there was a a conference called the Passion Conference. And about 40,000 people attended. And Dr. John Piper was one of the speakers at that event well-known author and pastor. And he said this to the 40,000 college students that were gathered at that conference. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliasson and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. He began, Ruby was over 80, single all of her life. She poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed, the car went over the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And I asked my church, was this a tragedy? No, Piper responded. This was not tragic. But I'll tell you what is a tragedy Piper said to the audience, and then he pulled out a page from Reader's Digest, and he read, Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. He continued, the American dream, come to the end of the life, your life, your one and only life. And let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells. That, I submit to you, is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Today I'm here to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. a hard illustration that he gives. Do I think that retirement is inherently evil? Personally, no, I do not. But the question is, where is your heart in it? Is that where you're finding your security, your sense of certainty? Are you abandoning the work that God has for you in this world so that you can go and do that? Or are we taking what we know to be certain and dedicating our time on this earth to doing the work that God has called us to do? When I am doing what God calls me to do, there is certainty and security. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we prepare to close this morning. And as they come, I just invite you, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And let's think about this together. And I would ask you, what are you anxious about this morning? What are you worried about today? What is it that is out of your control and you are not sure what to do about it?
maybe it's something around your family, something within your marriage, something with your children, something with friendships, something with your parents. And it's out of your control and it worries you. Maybe you're worried about money today, security. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're already worried about your inbox this week and all the work that needs to take place. There's so much that's uncertain in this world. But what is certain is there is a God who has created you and who loves you. There is a savior who came and died on the cross and rose again that you might have relationship with him. And there's an eternity awaiting you. So God, I pray that the reality of who you are would bring peace today. I pray that we would order our lives around what is certain in you. And Lord, that you would forgive us for all the time we spend trying to control things outside of our control. Worrying about things that we ultimately can't solve. Lord, help us to trust you. And today we come to you with open hands and open arms, giving you control over all of those things in our lives that we cannot control ourselves. Entrusting them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.